Amen, amen. Today's scripture reading is going to come from the book of James. I invite you to turn over there with me. We are going to look at chapter 1 together today, just a few verses. Um, we're going to condense this down a little bit with our public reading of scripture. And so turn over to James chapter 1. And we are going to read together starting in verse 22. So we're going to shorten this up a little bit. So start with me in verse 22. Here, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever intently looks into the law, the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned, this letter in Scripture, or you may call it a book, but really it's a letter, written by a guy named James, kind of gave it away a little bit with the title, right? Uh, but what you may not know, or maybe you do, but James is the half-brother of Jesus. We say half-brother because we know Jesus' earthly mother was Mary, but his uh, heavenly father was involved in that mysterious uh, con uh, conception of Jesus in the womb. And so the father is on earth, Joseph, but his spiritual father, his heavenly father, is God in heaven. And so Jesus was not the only one born to Mary, though. Mary and her husband Joseph had other children, siblings. James was one of them. If you read the gospel accounts, you get the distinct impression that Jesus' brothers had a hard time believing that Jesus was who he said he was and who everybody else was saying he was, they doubted. Uh, but now we have James, his letter written to Christians everywhere across the world and now across time, believing that Jesus is who he said he was, believing that Jesus is who others said he was. What, what's the deal with that? How, how can he go from, from not believing that Jesus, his half-brother, was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Son of God, the Son of man. How could, he go, how could he go from doubting that to now believing that? And the clear answer is the resurrection. If you think about it, I've heard a pastor say this before, but what would it take for one of your siblings to convince you that they are the perfect child of God? It would take a lot, right? Would not the resurrection from the dead be enough? It'd be enough for me. And so now we have James, who is a well-respected member of the early church, writing this incredible letter to God's people. And uh, James has often been uh, one of my go-to books of the Bible, one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's full of practical wisdom. And in that way, the book of James is a lot like the book of Proverbs. It's like the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. Just tons of practical wisdom showing us what does it look like to live skillfully. 
to live in such a way that our lives align with the will of God. What does it look like to live that way? And here we, hear, here we see James saying, you got to not just hear the word, but you got to do the word. And I think, you know, you're here this morning, so you are hearing the word. That's a good thing. Some of you super saints, you came for Bible study. Praise the Lord. You made it at 9.45 this morning. If you haven't been coming, hey, come. Check out a small group Bible study. It's awesome to sit with other Christians and study the word of God together. It's a good thing. We just sang the word of God. These songs are filled with scripture. When we sing them together, we're singing the truth of God's word together. Man, that is beautiful. You may have spent the whole week listening to Christian music on the radio or on your phone or however you do it or on YouTube or whatever. And you just, you're filling up your day listening to Christian music. And isn't that a good thing? It is so good to hear and sing the truth of scripture. And you know, we're, we're in the book of James because we're reading through the Bible together, right? And if you're not on the Bible reading plan, I invite you to grab one of our uh, copies in the back that outlines what we're reading together. And each week I'm preaching from what we read the previous week. So I, I encourage you to get plugged into that. And so hopefully you've been reading that plan this week. Uh, or maybe you're on a different Bible reading plan or whatever. And that's, that's just, just as well. That's great. Fantastic. But, but you're reading the Bible. And that's, that is an essential part of your faith. All that being said, James says, you can't just be hearers of the word, whether it be read or sung or preached or taught. You can't just hear it. The intention of God's word is that we would know who he is. We would know who we are. We would know what he expects. We would know how we should live. We would know truth and we would live in light of that truth, that our attitudes and our actions would align with God's will for our life. The intention of the word is not to just be heard, but to be lived. So here's what I want to do. James has got a lot of categories. I, I tried to break it down. I kind of identified roughly nine categories, and we don't have time for that today. And everybody said, amen. Okay, but... I want to hit some highlights, and maybe this is revealing a little bit about my life and the things I struggle with, but there are some highlights that I want to hit this morning. Four things, four, four areas of our life in which God desires for us not just to be hearers of what God expects, but doers of what God expects. We're going to talk about four things, big categories. They're all in chapter one, and I'm going to show you they, they pop up in the rest of the letter as well. But because there's four it's very easy that you may get overwhelmed with four and you'll forget. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to prayerfully consider one. Hear the four and consider the one in which God wants you to focus on in the coming week. Okay, make sense? So let me give you the overview of the four and then we'll get into the details. Actually, I'll give you the overview. We'll pray and then we'll get into the details. Okay, trials. God has expectations for us to face trials with joy. Wealth. God has expectations for how we gain wealth, how we use wealth, and how we interact with others who may or may not have wealth. Three, anger. That there's anger in our lives that may not please the Lord, and God wants to correct that. And fourth, speech. And we'll see in James that he says, if anybody has a perfect speech, if, if they never do anything wrong with their speech, they're a perfect person. 
So speech. So those are our four. When you hear those, one of those may stand out to you as, yeah, I could grow in that area. I could be a better doer in that area. So again, facing trials with joy, handling wealth in a way that pleases God, dealing with the anger that rises up in us sometimes, and having speech that pleases God. Those are the four categories. Let's pray together, and then let's get into the details. Father God, we thank you for your word that is inspired by your Holy Spirit, that is perfect in all that you intend for it to do, to teach us about truth. The truth of who we are and who you are. It calls us into truth about what our attitude and what our actions should be that would please you. And we do want to please you with our lives. So we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. And we might be encouraged to not just be hearers of the word only, but to also be doers of the word in our lives today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. James starts with, I think, the most difficult one. I mean, I don't know if it's the most difficult one, but it, it seems kind of like it. When he says in chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but there's this, yeah, right, in the back of my mind when I hear that. Am I alone? Maybe I just need to pray more. I don't know. Y'all may be ahead of me, and, and I'm sure that's true in a lot of cases, right? But when I hear that, I think, ugh, jo pure joy. Not just joy, but pure joy. And not just in some trials, but in many trials, in all trials, in the testing of our faith. I'm going to go through this quickly, because we have four to get through, and we have the Lord's Supper at the end. But this is something the Lord's impressed upon me as I've read this verse so many times. What James is essentially saying is if you like growth, you should embrace trials. If you want to be more like Jesus, then trials are a great way to help you become more like Jesus. If you are more concerned with being comfortable you are not going to be joyful in the trials. That's just a reality. If we love being comfortable more than we love being like Jesus, if we want to be comfortable more than we want to be like Jesus, having joy in trials is out of the question. But if we see the beauty of Jesus, a man dying for our sins, a man facing his enemies and forgiving them, a man, as James said, or as John says in the first chapter of his gospel, a man full of grace and truth. If we see a God-man like that and we want to be like him, let me tell you, there is nothing like trials to sand off the rough edges of our lives. So if we are more concerned with being like Jesus than being comfortable, we can say this trial, this test, this this challenge I welcome it with joy because I know God is going to use this in my life he says when you persevere through the test our faith produces more perseverance the perseverance finishes its work so that we may be mature and complete lacking nothing 
That's what trials can do in our life. That's what testing can do in our life. It can help us to become more like Christ. But maybe for you, maybe for some of you, you'd say, the thing I need to work on is when I face trials, there's no joy. It all leaks out of my body. I'm a balloon with a hole in it. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, gone. I deflate. Fear sets in. Anxiety sets in. Anger may set in. We're going to talk about that in a minute. All sorts of things just start to settle into my heart, into my mind that I know aren't pleasing to God. And joy is the furthest thing from me. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe God wants to help you grow in finding pure joy in the trial. If that's you... We're going to talk about how to do that in just a minute. Second thing, wealth. James has a lot to say about wealth. Look at verse 19 of chapter 1 with me. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take, uh, oh, sorry, James 1, 9. We're not at 19 yet. James 1, 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. There's three little subcategories under wealth that I think we can pay attention to. The first one is how we see ourselves or how we relate to wealth. James points out that in our lives, those who have less, who could become discouraged by having less, ought to look at the privileged position they have as being a son or daughter of God because as he's going to say to the wealthy, that wealth ain't going to last anyways. What you do have, if you do not have the resources that you wish you had or that you see that others have, what you do have is actually of infinitely more valuable to you than any amount of money or possessions you can have. And James is saying to those who may be poor in this world, believers in humble circumstances, take pride, not pride and look at what I have done, but pride in what God has done for me, that I might be called a child of God. That's how I should relate to wealth if I have very little of it. But what if I have a lot of it? James says you ought to humble yourselves. He, said, he says you're going to pass away like a wildflower. Not only you, but your wealth. All that you have could create a, a puffed up sense of yourself, could, could increase ungodly pride. Or you can say, look at all that I have and I know that it's fleeting. Look at all that I have and I know it's not going to stretch my years of life out beyond what God has assigned. Look what I have, but God has given me greater riches in heaven. It's to humble those who have wealth. And, and honestly, that's most of us. Compared to the rest of the world and the, compared to the rest of humanity, most of us fit in the category of the wealthy. And James encourages us to see our relation to wealth, see our wealth, see ourselves in that wealth and be humbled by the reality that it is fleeting, just as our life is. That's the first little category under wealth. The second category under wealth is how we relate to others who have wealth. Because the truth is, there's always somebody that has more, right? You can be the second wealthiest person in the world and you're still looking up to someone else. Wishing, perhaps, that you had as much as them. It's one of the insidious ways of greed that works in our lives is it doesn't matter how much we have, we're always wanting more. And James says there's a particular way we ought to relate to others who have wealth. Look at chapter 2 with me. He points this out. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, 
must not show favoritism. And then he paints this example of, of someone wealthy coming into like a church service, wearing nice clothes and golden rings, and, and then there's also next to them a poor man wearing, you know, tattered clothes. And the rich man, everybody in the church, gives them special attention and gives them a place of honor, which in our church would be in the back. You guys on the back, Baptist life, you're in the places of honor. You didn't know that. And we say, well, rich man, you get to sit in the back so you can be the first to leave, so you can get to over to the taqueria faster than everybody else. But in their case, there would be a place of honor. They say, well, let the wealthy come to the place of honor and let the poor find somewhere else to sit. What are they doing? They're showing favoritism based on wealth. So it's not just how we relate to wealth that we have, it's also how we relate to the wealth others have. The third subcategory of wealth is how we pursue it and how we use it. Look at James chapter 5 with me. James chapter 5 has some pretty strong words for the wealthy. He says, now listen, chapter, one, or chapter 5 verse 1, now listen you rich people which is a lot of us compared to the rest of the world and across time. That's a lot of us. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Oh my goodness, what in the world? James just went nuclear on the wealthy. Why? There's got to be a good reason and there is. He says you have hoarded your wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fell to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. What's he saying? He's saying these wealthy people used what they had for themselves. And in fact, they gain more by robbing those with less. So how we gain money and how we use money is also an important part of how we handle wealth skillfully. Because remember, that's, that's the whole idea of, of Proverbs and James is to live wisely. And that, 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 that means, you boil down, what does it mean to live wisely? It means to live skillfully. And here you have this example that wealth can be a dangerous trap for us. How we relate to it, how we treat those who have it, and how we gain it and use it can be skillful or unskillful. It's another category. Maybe that's the category God wants you to pay attention to. Or maybe it's the third, anger. Uh, this is a tough one. Go back to chapter 1, verse 19. It's a tough one for me because I think, like, I can definitely see this one in my life, particularly when it comes to parenting, you know? Like, just, it's tough when, you, when, you're, when you're parenting, especially, I don't know, I think it's, you know, maybe, probably across the board, moms and dads, but often the dads, we, we may struggle with this. We get frustrated, you know? And that frustration may come across in anger. And it's not pretty at times, is it? And James says this about anger. He gives us some of the greatest... Uh, words of wisdom when it comes to, about, comes to anger than almost anywhere else in Scripture. Listen to what he says in James 1.19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, 
How many of us have already failed, right? Instead of listening to understand what's going on, we jump to conclusions, we make assumptions, we get frustrated, we get angry, and then we respond out of that anger. How much of that would be solved if we just were quick to listen? Slow to speak. Same issue, same problem, right? We make that assumption, and then we jump on the situation with words of anger. Instead of holding our tongue and reserving the opportunity to learn what's actually going on, we respond quickly in anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That if we are quick to listen, and if we are slow to speak, it becomes much easier to be slow to anger. Now, he is not talking about righteous anger. There is a righteous anger. When you see injustice in the world, when you see hurt and pain in the world, there is righteous anger. He's not talking about that. He's talking about unrighteous anger. How do we know that? Because of verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There is a wrong way to be angry. And that is the unrighteous response of one who is slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Maybe that is your challenge this morning. And as James points out here, wrapped up in this anger are the words that come out of our mouth. That's number four, our speech. But it's not just the words that come out of our mouth when we're angry. It could be all sorts of things. It could be gossip. It could be lying to make ourselves look better, right? It could be a whole number of ways that we, we could cut people down. Make fun of people, right? There's a whole host of ways in which we can use our words to sin against God. And look at verse 26 of chapter 1. Verse 26 of chapter 1, James says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceives themselves, and their religion is worthless. Imagine a stallion. A horse that can run faster than any other horse. And you just set it free. Now that sounds exciting. But put that horse in a china shop or in your home and it becomes a very dangerous thing. And James is saying here, and he's going to say it again in a very similar way in chapter 3. And turn over there with me and you'll see it. Chapter 3, he talks about it in a similar way. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. That, that stallion that's running loose in your home, around your kids and your valuables, causing so much destruction, James says that's like a, a tongue that is not reined. That's like our speech that we choose not to control. It can cause all sorts of problems for ourselves and with others. Look at 9 and 10 of chapter 3. Listen to what he says. He says this, this issue with the tongue, we praise our God, Lord, and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives and, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What's he saying? He's saying, for those who worship God, it is unfitting that they would use those same lips that worship God to trash other people. Whether it's in interpersonal relationships, whether it's online, often enough, doesn't it just begin in the back of our heads and we start thinking negatively about people and we're telling ourselves some negative stories about people that may or may not be true. And then it eventually makes its way between our lips. James says here, that tongue, like a wild horse, it needs a bit, it needs a bridle, it needs a rider who says, I am going to control this and not let loose the words that come out of my mouth. Like I said, I think there's a lot of other categories here that we could look at when it comes to living wisely or living skillfully, and we just don't have time to get through them. But here's what I want you to do, because the big question is, okay, Pastor Matt, that all sounds great. I would love to handle trials with joy, honor God with wealth, uh, control my anger as well as my speech. But isn't that easier said than done? If you struggle with some of this stuff, don't you know that, that it's, not, it's not just a quick fix? This one sermon isn't going to fix it. But the challenge from God's word is that we take what you have heard from the word and do it. So I want to talk about how we can do it. And it begins, I think there's four ideas I want to share with you that, that kind of go across the board when it comes to our growth. Four ideas that come across the board when it comes to our growth. And I want you, it would be helpful if you wrote it down. But the first one is focus on one thing. If you're like me, I've got a baker's dozen of problems that need to be solved in my attitude and my actions. The list is far longer than you might imagine. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably true for you too. You can get overwhelmed with that. What if you ask the Lord to help you focus in on that one thing, and it may be one of these four, or it may be something else that didn't come up, but you know that's the thing. That's the area of your life you are not living wisely. You're not living skillfully. Focus on one thing. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is whether it's in James or some other part of Scripture, take that one thing and go to the truth of the Bible in regards to that one thing. It may be prohibitions against it, or it may be instructions in the opposite direction, like using our words to bless and not curse, things like that. But go to God's Word. You know, Google's your friend here, all right? Just Google verses, Bible verses on anger, right? Bible verses on wealth. Be a whole bunch of them. Pick out a few and just meditate on them. Make it your goal to learn them, memorize them, study them, read them over and over. Pick one thing, Step one. Step two, go to God's word for the truth about that one thing. And step three, pray about that one thing regularly. Pray about it daily. Uh, we started this Bible reading plan with prayer cards and a prayer system. Uh, and I've encouraged you to fill those out. I have prayer cards on sins in my life that I want God to have control over. Make a prayer card, write it in your journal, write it in your Bible, but put it down somewhere that this is a thing in your life that you're praying about, an area in which you want to live skillfully. Pick that out. Pick one thing. Go to Scripture. 
pray about it daily. And the fourth thing that we find squarely in James is don't do it alone. Last thing I want to share with chapter 5. Chapter 5, James says in verse 13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Listen to this. Therefore, verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Don't go it alone. If you do these four things regularly, you will see progress in that particular area of your life, I promise you. I can also tell you the progress may seem slow and it may seem small, but don't let that discourage you. Slow progress and small progress is still progress. A few steps down the road along the journey of living wisely will get you to that destination over time. God will honor that and God will help you grow. It may be slow growth. You plant that seed in the ground, you water the seed, you tend the soil, and guess what? It's going to take a while for that small seed to be a, a, a fruit-producing tree. Years. But growth is coming. Right? One of my favorite um, illustrations of this, uh, small growth. So slow growth is like the seed. Small growth is like this. This comes from The Leader's Journey, a book that's really phenomenal. Small steps along the journey can produce an effect out of proportion to their size. Consider the impact of small improvements. And we just came out of uh, baseball. If you're Texas Rangers fans, you're happy. And if you're not, they're still from Texas, so you should still be happy, right? Listen to what he says. What do you suppose is the difference in salary between a professional baseball player, one whose bat batting average is 250, and one whose batting average is 350? In today's market, the jump in salary would be astronomical. The first player is average, but every fan would consider the second player a superstar. But what's the difference in performance? The 350 hitter gets only one more hit every 10 times at the plate, or about one more hit every two and a half games. That's it. The difference in performance is slight, the impact of that slight difference is enormous. It may be slow growth, but it's still growth. It may be small growth, but it's still growth. If you will focus in on one thing that God wants to work out in your life, that you may live more skillfully or live wisely, and if you will focus that energy on the truth of God's word and what it has to say about it, and if you will pray about it regularly, if not daily, and if you'll invite other people into that area of your life, confessing your sin to them, asking them to check on you and to pray for you, you will see growth. No matter how slow, no matter how small, you will make progress. And this is good news. Because when the Holy Spirit indwells in us, when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is pushing us to grow, encouraging us to grow. He wants us to grow. 
In fact, it's the very reason Jesus came into the world that we might have a relationship with God that changes the trajectory of our life, changes how we live life, how we see life, our attitudes, our actions, what we believe and how we behave. God wants to make radical change in us. But often that radical change is not an overnight radical change. It's a five-year change. It's a ten-year change. But God stands in your quarter. He stands with you to make that growth happen. So let's go to him in prayer and ask him for the help that we need. Father God, oh, how we need your help. Whether it's one of these things we've seen in James that we've talked about today or some other part of Scripture that it touches on a sore spot in our lives. We know that, that, God, there's areas that we need your help. There's areas of growth that maybe we've become discouraged with. Maybe we've begun to think that we're just never going to get over it. We're never going to handle that the way we, we desire to. We're never going to be more like Christ in and, and that realm of our life. And, and, God, that's just not true. We know that's not true based on your word. <clears throat> Help us not to give up that hope, but to have the hope that Christ came into the world to save sinners like us and to transform our lives to be more like him. We thank you for your grace that you call us into this relationship when we're broken. And you give us the assurance that we, we're never going to lose that relationship because we continue to be broken, but that you're putting the pieces of our lives back together. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us even now that there are those things you're pointing them out and you're infusing us with hope because we know that you're going to walk with us in the journey you're going to help us become more like christ in that area and that the slowness of it the smallness of it does not discourage but we can see that you're at work for this father we give thanks in the name of jesus amen